All right, well, hey, welcome to River Glen. I'm Andy, uh, one of the pastors here on staff, uh, director of Family Life, and I'm excited you're here because we're, co we're continuing in this series called You Asked For It. So several months ago, we sent out a survey to the church and got a lot of questions back, and we used all those questions to make this series. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about a topic that, you know, might seem kind of basic, and that's heaven. And I'm going um, to be honest here, you know, I look at heaven and I think, wow, this isn't like some like complex topic. This isn't real controversial. But when we got our survey results back, there were so many questions about heaven that we had to include it in this series. And so Ben called me in and he's like, hey, do you want to take, uh, you know, a weekend talk about heaven? I'm like, sure, that'd be, uh, that'd be okay. Yeah. You know, because compared to all the other topics we're covering, this one's not as like hot button issue or complex or whatever. And I realized that you know, maybe there's something wrong with my attitude uh, about talking about heaven. Am I excited about heaven? All right? And then something happened. So I have a three-year-old. His name's Isaac, right? And uh, this is him. <laughs> he is in, like, question mode right now in life, right? He's three, and everything is why, right? Why and how. And I don't know about you, but I can only like have so much patience for why questions, right? Like, so for example, I'll be like, hey, it's time to eat. And he'll say, why? And I'll be like, well, because the food's ready. Why? Well, because it only cooks for 35 minutes at 375 degrees. Why? Because that's what the directions say. Why? I don't know. Because, right? And, and then I just end with because, and then it gets him to stop asking questions. But this doesn't, this doesn't, <laughs> this hasn't paid off well, because Isaac will hit his sister in the head with a truck, and I'll say, hey, why'd you hit your sister in the head with a truck? And he'll say, because, right? And I'm like, okay, well, that's my fault. So I decided I am going to outsmart my three-year-old, right? Like, next time he asks me some question, I'm going to explain him into submission, right? And I'm going to give him everything I know. I'm going to drop just bombs of knowledge on him to get him to stop asking questions. So, for example, he loves the moon. Like, when we're outside and he sees the moon, he's like, the moon. And when it's a half moon, he calls it a taco moon, okay? And he'll, he'll ask, where's the rest of the moon? And I'm like, jackpot. I'm an astronomy guy. I got this, right? So I go, well, Isaac, let me tell you about the moon. The moon appears to be a taco moon, which is actually a crescent moon, thank you, um, because the moon orbits around the Earth, right? And as it orbits around the Earth, the lit portion of the moon changes, and so we only see part of it. So, for example, when the moon is between the Earth and the sun, that's a new moon. We don't see the lit portion, okay? And as it travels around the Earth, we see more and more of the lit portion, and when the Earth is between the moon and the sun, that's a full moon, got it? And he's just kind of like looking at me like, do you hate me? Um, right? But one night we're with Isaac and we're doing our like bedtime routine. And that includes, you know, praying and he'll say, where's God? And I'm like, oh, in heaven. And he goes, what's heaven? What's it like? Where is it? Can I go? And I'm like, these questions. Three-year-olds have these questions. Adults have these questions. And it made me think, you know, I don't even think about these questions that much. Maybe heaven is something I ought to be more excited about so that I can talk to my three-year-old about it, so that I can talk to people in the church about it. I'm one of these people that when I, like, learn something new or uh, find something really exciting or, like, that's improved my life, I want to tell everyone. I want to go and be like, this is going to make your life better. You need this, right? And I started to wonder, how come I'm more excited talking about, like, fitness or the new show on Netflix or some new gadget I got more than I am excited about talking about heaven, with my three-year-old or about heaven with my church, right? And I think when it comes to heaven, 
we're just not that excited about it. I think there's a couple reasons. There's so much misinformation out there about heaven, so many ideas that really aren't true that come from shows or TVs or whatever, culture. And it, you know, we look at that and we think that's true and so we're not excited about heaven. Or we're so focused on our life now, we're like, oh, I don't even got time to think about the future. Like, that's heaven, good, whatever, I'll just take it, right? Like, I'm focused on life now, so we don't think about it. Or when we come across it in the Bible, um, it's maybe cryptic or confusing, and so we just don't understand it, and because we don't understand it, we're not excited about it, right? How much do we really know about heaven? Do we know what the Bible says about heaven? Does it change the way we live our lives? Should it change the way we live our lives? Right? I'm going to ask a question. This is a question I ask myself. I think we should all be asking is, are you excited about heaven? Are you excited about it? I believe with a better understanding of heaven, um, we'll think about it more. We'll think about it correctly. Think about our future correctly. And we're going to have more hope now. We'll, we'll see our life here and now with a better perspective. So my hope is that we walk out of here today, not just with questions answered, but with more hope, more confidence, more excitement, more joy, knowing what lies ahead in heaven. So today's going to be informational. I'm going to hop around the Bible a lot, try to answer as many questions as I can. Uh, on your inserts, you're going to see all the verses I'm going to cover. Um, there's room for you to take notes. But I don't want today to be just information. Uh, I think it's going to inspire us to maybe look at our lives now and say, how can I live my life differently knowing uh, what the Bible says about heaven. So heaven, the afterlife, paradise, all these different words for this, uh, this place that we hope exists, right? And cultures throughout time have uh, had this idea of there has to be something that exists after we die. 71% of Americans, based on a Gallup poll last year, believe that heaven exists, right? So it's clear there's something in us as humans that hopes and desires that there's something more after we die. But what is it about the Christian view and teachings of heaven that are unique? What is it that makes it good news? Right, let's start by looking at how heaven fits into God's big story, right? The big story of the Bible from beginning to end. I like to break it down into a couple different, uh, in a couple different parts, four parts, all right? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, right? This is God's story, all right? And it starts with creation. In the beginning, God created. He creates everything, and he said it was good. He looked at what he had made, and he was pleased. He was happy. He loved it. But most importantly, what we see is that humans were the pinnacle of this creation. We were created by him. We were created for him. We were given unique responsibilities, a, a unique place within creation to do certain things, right? The world was actually made for human flourishing, and there would, where we could live with, with God, live in joy, live with each other, and just enjoy it. But then there's the fall. There's the fall. Although it was good, people are deceived into believing, you know, their way is probably better than God's way. He had set boundaries, and they decided, let's, let's stray from those boundaries. So what happens is sin enters the world, this rebellion. And along with sin enters death and decay. This is not the world God intended to create. So what happens is sin enters the world, and what also happens is that this sin, it caused separation between God and man, God and human. So we're created to be with God and enjoy him forever, but this relationship is severed uh, through separation. Right? But then there's redemption. Thankfully, God has a plan to fix everything, to redeem his creation and rescue humanity. Through his son, he's going to uh, rescue people and save them through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And then we get to restoration, okay? The story doesn't end with Jesus just dying and rising from the grave. 
it continues. God isn't just saving people. He's made a promise that this is all going to end someday, right? The story isn't that we just end up in heaven. Rather, that we end up with God on a new earth, a restored creation, uh, where th- the way things were supposed to be. And so the Bible kind of gives us a glimpse of what's to come. There's going to be a time when God says, you know what? Enough is enough. Enough of the injustice. No more pain. No more suffering. No more evil. All things are going to be made new. Everything's going to be restored to the way that it was supposed to be, just like in the beginning, God and people together on earth. I heard a pastor call this, God is re-Edenizing. He's bringing it back to the way it was in the beginning. And so when we think of heaven, we need to think in terms of this story, this creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, because it's there throughout the story. Right? God created, but he didn't create earth and then some separate place called heaven. What he does is he actually just creates one place, and he's there, and we're there. Right? So you can think of this as heaven on earth. This is what we see in the Garden uh, of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. Right? But due to this rebellion, the fall of man, sin and shame enter into the creation. Right? And what happens is now there's separation between God and man, but there's also this separation between um, heaven and earth, heaven where God is and earth where we are. Right? There's this separation. But through God's plan of redemption, God is going to redeem, he's going to fix, he's going to save uh, and reconcile people to himself, but also heaven and earth to each other. Right? This is where we are uh, today. God is still redeeming, he's reconciling, he's doing all this, and he's promised that in the future he will restore everything to the way it was uh, in the beginning. So heaven on earth, God with his people forever. This, in a nutshell, is kind of the Christian view of heaven, right? So as you can see, heaven is part of God's story beginning to end, um, and it's extremely important how it kind of fits in that story so we can talk about it correctly, all right? So let's start diving into some of the questions um, into more detail and kind of just understand heaven fuller. So what is heaven? Let's define it, right? During uh, this present time, the place where God dwells, uh, Scripture frequently calls heaven, all right? So heaven is a place, all right? If you ask me where is it, I do not know, okay? It's a place. Matthew 6, 9 says, our Father in heaven. Isaiah 66, 1 says, um, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? 1 Peter 3.22 says, now Christ has gone to heaven, right? He is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. So simply put, heaven is the place where God is. It's the place where God is. Now, it's not the only place he is. Scripture shows that God is, uh, he's present everywhere. Uh, the, the term used sometimes is omnipresent, right? He's present everywhere. David in the, uh, Psalm 139 says, I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go to the grave, you are there, right? So even though God is everywhere, heaven is unique. Heaven is described uh, as a unique place where God dwells in a very special, unique way. And it's that God's glory, his fullness, his uh, like full-on godness is fully displayed, fully manifested, fully out there. Nothing is held back. Author and theologian Wayne Grudem, he says it like this, the greatest manifestation of God's presence is to, bl- to bless is seen in heaven where he makes his glory known. Right? So what is heaven? It's this place where God is. It's a place where he's dwelling. And it's a place where like everything about him is just fully on display. His glory is totally out there. He holds nothing back. And I would argue this is what makes heaven heaven. 
right? I think sometimes we think of heaven as this place and, and God just happens to be there, right? But I think a better way of thinking about it, a more biblical way of thinking about it, is that because God is there, that is what makes it heaven, right? So where God dwells, that is heaven, right? So not only is heaven a place where God is, but it's a place where his people are going to be. In, uh, in John 14, uh, 1 through 3, Jesus says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. So uh, heaven is described as God's home, right? And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Heaven is a place where God's people are going to be reconciled to him. Uh, on the cross, he says to the thief next to him, he says, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Heaven is a place um, where, heaven, where people are, will be united with God. So heaven is described as this place not created uh, like for good people, not created as some reward, but heaven is rather just where God is and where people should have been if it weren't for sin, right? It, it, we, we should be in heaven. We should be with God, but the problem is we have sin. So fortunately, God made us a way that we could be united with him, could be with him in heaven. And he did that through sending his own son from heaven to earth, right, to take on flesh, to take on our sin so that we could go from earth to heaven. And this brings up a good question. Who, who will be in heaven, right? Is it like our default destination or is there something we have to do to get there? Well, since heaven is where God dwells, the question really ought to be not how do we get to heaven, but how do we be with God? How do we be reunited with God and, and hang out with him, dwell with him in heaven? Well, according to Genesis 3, this is where the fall takes place. Um, what's separating us from God is that sin, right? So our sin has to be dealt with before um, we can be with God in heaven. And scripture makes clear that um, this is not a good situation, this separation. It actually would say we are dead in our sin. This is Ephesians 2.1. It says you're dead in your sin. Now, that's pretty strong language, right? Like dead. When I say you're a dead man, I'm about to throw a dodgeball at you, okay? It's not that serious. You're like, it might hurt. He'll probably miss, right? But when God says you're a dead man, it means you're hopeless. It means you're helpless. It means you're in uh, a situation you cannot get yourself out of, right? A dead person cannot bring themselves back to life. Fortunately, Jesus can. Jesus came, he died, and he rose from the grave. And what that does is that offers us a chance at having life, being forgiven, being redeemed, being saved, being fixed, being with God in heaven forever, so this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? I am the way. There is no other way. I'm it. I am how you get there. I am how you get there, right? I am the truth. I am what you need to accept. I am what you need to believe in. I am the foundation you need to build your life on, and I am the life. I am what's going to get you out of your situation. I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to fix you. Right? So who's in heaven? Who's in heaven? Here's how Pastor Andy Stanley says it. He says, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Forgiven people go to heaven. Heaven is going to be this diverse place full of different people from different cultures, different races, different languages, different backgrounds, different time periods, everything. But there's going to be one thing that everyone has in common, and it's the fact that they don't deserve to be there. They don't deserve to be there. Because they're there because they've accepted God's forgiveness. They've been forgiven, right? No one earned their spot. No one worked for it. No one purchased it. It's a gift, and it's received by grace through faith in Jesus. 
right? So that is how we be with God in heaven, through forgiveness, through Jesus. Now, there were some questions that came up about uh, heaven, right? For instance, what about purgatory? Is there a purgatory? What's purgatory? Who's going to go there? Well, purgatory is dis- described as this place uh, where people go after they die and where they, they actually suffer, they're cleansed of sin before entering heaven. Now, the Bible does not teach the idea of purgatory or a place we go between heaven and earth to pay for sins, right? Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise, today. And he's saying this to a thief who is, who is receiving a death penalty, right? Today you will be with me in heaven, not later, not once you've worked off some of the sin, right? Like today, Also, Jesus' last words are, it is finished. It is finished. What he's talking about is his work on the cross, his mission, his purpose. The whole reason he came to earth on the cross is done, okay? It is finished literally means uh, paid in full, paid in full. So his work is finished. If it's paid in full, how could there be more that we have to go and then work off somehow? How could there be more that we have to suffer for before arriving in heaven? It doesn't make sense. That would be bad news. Jesus is good news. Paid in full. It is finished. Today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? Uh, another big question that always pops up is what about pets, right? Is Fluffy going to join me in heaven? What about Jinxie, right? Well, I have this theory. Um, if you're a cat owner, I think you'll be excited about this. I think cats will be in heaven, okay? I think they will be hypoallergenic, right? So no more allergies. And I think they will also be redeemed into dogs. So this is good news for everyone. And (laughs) seriously, regardless, the question of pets comes up. And I, and I get it. I get it. I, lo- I love pets. And it, but it's not something that's specifically like answered in the Bible, right? Like it's not a question that's laid out. But I think um, by understanding God's story uh, of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and just his character, I think we can speculate a little bit, okay? So this is, this is what we would call conjecture. God created animals as part of the original creation, and he said it was good. So if he's, his plan is to bring us back to the way it was, I think it's safe to assume that animals are going to be part of heaven, okay? According to Romans 8.28, creation itself, creation itself is somehow waiting to be redeemed. Here's what it says. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Freedom from death and decay, that's, that's heaven. So what this says is creation is waiting to go to heaven with, with God's children. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, now, creation, specifically animals, they're not like us. They're not on par with humanity, right? We're made in God's image. We're unique. We're special. We're given special roles and stuff. But it seems that Jesus' death and resurrection actually benefits all of creation, all of the universe, really, right? All of creation is going to be part of this restored heaven and earth. And I think it's okay to assume that animals are going to be there and maybe even pets, Right? I, I think anything that's part of this world that's a good gift from God, and I would say that you know, pets are a gift from God uh, for companionship, right? I think any good gift that's on this earth could absolutely be part of heaven. Right? So based on what we know about God's character and what we know about his story, I think it's safe to assume, yeah, could be. All right. Another popular question that people have is, what is heaven going to be like, right? Like, what is it going to be like? Now, this is an important question, and I think it's understood the least, 
And this is where our imaginations run wild and we come up with crazy ideas like, you know, harps and angels and, you know, we're just in clouds or something. But this is the important distinction we have to say. When you say, what is heaven going to be like? I would say, well, when are you talking about? Are you talking about now or are you talking about the future when God is done with his promises? Because heaven now uh, or heaven in the future, right? The Bible describes this future event where God is going to restore creation to good, right? This is the re-Edenizing of creation. And it's in Revelation 21. And here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place, heaven, is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Right? This is when heaven really kind of comes down to earth and it's restoration. It's the way it was supposed to be. God is going to do away with the way things are now and he's going to fulfill his promise. Right? No more brokenness, no more sin, no more shame, no more pain, none of that. Right? And we don't commonly picture this idea of heaven and earth together, that heaven is actually going to be a restored earth, right? one place in the future but heaven is going to be a very physical place. It's going to be much like this earth. And I think the best picture we have of this, the best promise we have, is Jesus' resurrection. Right? Like Jesus died because of our sin, but he was raised and he was given a new body. And so creation's going to go through some sort of process like Jesus did, right? Some sort of process where he, it is all made new. And one day, everything's going to be resurrected, basically, including his followers. Right? We're going to be resurrected into new bodies and live forever with God on a restored earth, a better earth. And that's pretty exciting. So what about now? Like, people want to know, well, what is heaven like now? Okay? When we die as Christians, um, before God does this whole restoration thing, like, what is heaven like now? Right? And theologians actually, this is a new term for me. I never heard this before. They call it the intermediate heaven. It's like a pit stop on the way to the new heaven and earth, right? This is where God is right now, all right? It's still heaven, but it's not his final dwelling place. His final dwelling place and ours is on a restored earth. But when we die as followers of Jesus, this is where we're going to be united with God in heaven, right? In the intermediate heaven as it exists today. Now, the Bible doesn't speak as much about this place, right? Uh, it speaks way more about what the future holds, the promises God has made, Right? And since that's sort of the end game and that's, that's really where we're going to spend forever, um, if you're curious about what it might be like now, I'm going to recommend you read a book. It's called Heaven uh, by Randy Alcorn. This is like the book. It answers just about every question there is uh, out there. So you can investigate that. But regardless, what I believe is we're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be conscious. We're going to know what's going on. We're going to have an idea of what's going on in history. And we're going to be with everyone who is there before us. And we are going to be waiting for the day when God says, enough is enough. Let's wrap this up. Okay? That is where we're going to be. And then God is going to restore everything. So what will heaven be like after he restores everything? 
Well, I think the best picture of this is what we see in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, right? What we see in, uh, is in God's original creation, God will dwell with us on a physical earth, no death, no decay, no disease, all of that is gone. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more allergies, right? Heaven is going to be the best parts of this world without the worst parts. It's going to be incredible. And I think even in our current world, there's things to love. With all its brokenness, with all its messiness, there's amazing things. But imagine a world that has all the best parts of this world without the horrible parts. That is going to be an incredible place to live. So you can think about all the things that you love in this world, that you enjoy in this world. Now imagine that in a world that doesn't have decay and death and brokenness. That's where you will be with Jesus, right? So what will we do in heaven? I think that's a good point. Um, what will we do in heaven? The way I usually hear this is, will it be boring, okay? There's this misconception that heaven is going to be monotonous and boring. Like, what are we going to do? And that might be the picture that we kind of get from shows or culture or movies or whatever it is. But I think the Bible paints a picture of heaven that's awesome. Because I think this is going to be the one place where you can fully be who you were designed to be. You can fully be the person God created you to be. And it's going to be the one place where we can experience pure joy. Right? It's going to be a great place. First, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to work. Okay? Does that mean you get to get a job? Yeah. All right? You got to get a job. All right? Now you're like, what? That sounds horrible. All right? It's not that bad. Right? Work now, here and now, is tough. Right? Like some of you are like, I hate work. That's not going to be like this, right? Work is hard now. According to Genesis 3, um, God says that work is hard, not because work is hard, but because of sin, because of brokenness, because of the way the world is now. That is what makes work hard. That is what makes it difficult. That is what brings, uh, makes it just tiresome and all this stuff, right? But in heaven, we're going to be free from that. We're going to be free from the sin and the curse of work. And what we'll have now is we'll do exactly the things we are gifted and created for. And I think we've all had glimpses of this, right? Like when you're working on something and you know you did a good job, right? Or, or you did something, you're, you feel that satisfaction and that fulfillment from um, doing something that you really enjoy or doing a really good job at it. And some of you are thinking, I've had like one moment like that. That's fine. But just imagine that moment forever. That's what work will be like in heaven. We're going to do the right things in the right way, right, for the right reasons in a right world. That is the work that we're going to be doing, right? Also, we're going to worship. We're going to spend forever worshiping God. And are you like, are we going to be singing forever, like whistle while we work kind of stuff? No, okay? We might sing, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that everything we do in heaven will be an act of worship. Right? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whatever you do, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? That's possible on earth, but it's absolute in heaven. Right? Here and now, we can do things that bring God glory, but we can also do those same exact things for the wrong reason, but not in heaven. In heaven, our actions, our deeds, our activities, everything is going to be done as an act of worship, right? So like drinking a cup of coffee, yeah, worship, right? Like music, wandering through creation, going on a hike, playing, eating, being with people, all of that's going to be worship because what we're going to be doing is enjoying this amazing place called heaven. And by enjoying heaven, we're enjoying God. And by enjoying God, we bring him glory, 
So we'll worship him. I think we'll also worship him directly. All right, scripture kind of paints this picture that we have blinders on right now. Like we don't fully get it right now on earth, right? There's some things we just don't understand. There's mysteries out there. Well, now imagine being with God and having a better understanding of who he is and his plans in this world and what he did in your life, right? Having a fuller understanding. We have partial understanding right now and we still worship him. Now imagine having that full understanding. That'll create a sense of awe, wonder, praise, and that'll last forever. And we're going to worship him uh, for that. I think mainly, though, what, the biggest part that we're going to enjoy about heaven is that we get to be with God. We get to be in his presence. We were made to be with him. We were created to be with him and to dwell with him, to walk with him, to just be around him. That's what we were made for. And I think in heaven, when we finally get to just uh, experience that, that is going to bring us a lot of joy. So heaven's going to be this incredible place. We're going to be doing awesome things, right? And I think when we understand it fully, it puts this life in perspective, right? So what are some of the practical implications of this? First, I think what we need to understand is that our life here and now is not as good as it gets, all right? In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 9 through 10, uh, Paul wrote this. He says, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Something incredible is waiting for us, right? And not even the most creative person uh, can, can conceive of it, can, can paint a picture of it, but I think we get glimpses of it. I think we get glimpses of it in this world, right, of what might be waiting. Heaven is going to be the best parts of this world without the worst parts. So think about this, right? We so desperately want to find satisfaction and fulfillment. There's, these, there's this hole, there's this void in our life, and we need to fill it, and we try to fill it in this world, and it never works. But when we're in heaven, right, not only will that, not only will uh, it live up to our standards, it's going to surpass them, right? This world is not as good as it gets. The fact is, it's like a shadow of what's in store for us. That means that when we're living right now, we shouldn't look at our life and think, this is it, right? We shouldn't put all our hope in the here and now. Something so much better is waiting for us. When, when this life is all there is, we get very selfish, right? It becomes all about us. But when we gain perspective of, of what heaven is going to be like, we can live our life differently because this isn't as good as it gets. We can devote our time to God. We can use our abilities for him, for others, right? We can give more and store up in, uh, a treasure in heaven, right? Because that is where we're going to be forever. We can sacrifice because this life is temporary, and there's something more incredible waiting for us. We can devote time to others. We can put more focus on others, less focus on ourselves because this life is not all about me. This life is not all about me. The pressure to live our life to the fullest, to, to experience all there is to experience, to do what makes you happy, to live your life for yourself, right? I think that pressure comes because we believe this is it and I gotta do it all before I die, right? But that pressure is diminished by the promise of heaven. This isn't as good as it gets. This is not even close to what's waiting for us in heaven. And that should change the way we view our life now. Okay? Our life here and now also, it affects our life in heaven. 
It's going to affect our eternity. Jesus tells several parables. Uh, you can look these up. It's the parable of the vineyard. That's in Matthew 20. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And basically what these parables show is that there are rewards uh, based on our faithfulness here and now. Okay? There are rewards in heaven based on how we live our life now. So according to Jesus, your faithfulness with your skills, your gifts, your abilities will impact your responsibilities in heaven. Okay? Also, he says, our character, who we are in this world, is going to impact our position in heaven. Right? He says in Matthew 20, 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. If you humble yourself in this life, God is going to exalt you in, the, in heaven. Right? So when we think of rewards like this, and we think of, man, there's eternity, and God's going to give us things in eternity based on this life, that makes me think, man, how do I live these 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it is, how do I spend my time now so that I get the most in heaven, right? Sacrifices now don't even, don't even compare to eternity, all right? Um, lastly, one of the greatest implications that I think we gain from understanding heaven better is that heaven is what we're made for. We were made for heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also a set eternity in the human heart. God wired us, not, not just to spend forever in some place. He wired us to spend forever with him. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that we are with our creator forever as he intended. And he ingrained this desire in us. He left this desire in us so we would search this out. C.S. Lewis says it like this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was created for another world. Right? I think we've all experienced that longing, that desire for something that's going to give us that meaning, that purpose, that worth, something that we think there's got to be more to life. There is, right? And it's heaven, right? That desire can't be fulfilled here. God made us so that you'll never find complete joy and fulfillment here because you weren't made for here. You were made for him, right? And I believe God left us that desire because he loves us. It's like leaving a rock in a shoe so it would bug you, and eventually it would bug you enough that you start asking the right questions, and you start realizing, you know what? There is something better out there, and it's God, and it's heaven, right? I think he left us that desire because he loves us, and he wants us to one day wake up to reality that this life is not all that there is. There's something so much better out there, right, in Jesus, in God. So let me ask you, are you still trying to find that something that you think is going to fill that void in your life, right? Have you run from one thing to another to another to another thinking, maybe this is it, maybe this is it, maybe she's it, maybe he's it, maybe this is it, right? Nothing works. <laughs> Nothing works because you were created by God for him, and he is the only thing that's going to fill that void. So I would say stop running, Stop fleeing from him. Stop ignoring this question. Stop ignoring and suppressing this desire in you that's guiding you back to your creator, okay? God has sent his son Jesus from heaven to earth to take your place, to take your sins, right? All the rebellion we have is gone because of him. That separation is gone, and you only have to accept it, all right? Turn to him. Turn to him. Stop running. Stop running and start believing, now, some of us have already turned to God. We're followers of Jesus, right? Question for you is, is heaven what you're excited about? Is heaven what you're longing for? 
Or have you become distracted by all the world has to promise, all the trinkets, all the toys, all the, you know, promises that are out there? Are you distracted and have you lost sight of what God has promised you? Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. When we set our mind on the things above, we're going to view everything correctly. But when we're so focused, when we have tunnel vision on earth now, we are losing sight and we are seeing everything incorrectly. God has made this world and it contains really good things. It contains things to love and enjoy, but this is not as good as it gets. It is going to be so much better. It is going to be so much better. But that doesn't mean we just go through life thinking, well, this stinks, right? We have work to do. God has given you skills, he's given you abilities, he's gifted you uh, to enjoy life, but also to reach people, to help people, to benefit people, and to love him, okay? So don't get distracted, don't get sidetracked by all this stuff that's out there. Focus on heaven and what God has promised us. Focus on the end goal, trust God that heaven is better, that there's something better out there, and live your life faithfully. Okay? Heaven is going to be better. Uh, the things uh, I love in this world, they're going to be there. Right? The things I hate in this world, they're not going to exist. It's going to be incredible. It's the world that we all dream of, that we all want, that we all long for. And you were created for it. Right? You were created for it. So what I would just end with is uh, this hope of heaven, it comes through Jesus. Right? He came for you, he died for you, he rose for you so that heaven could be your future. Believe it and live your life believing it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much uh, that you're a God who didn't abandon us, but um, you love us so much that you, you had this crazy plan to not only save us, but to uh, restore everything, and we get to just enjoy that forever. And I pray that we can believe that. Um, that you, you give each of us a picture of what that might look for uh, for us based on our own uh, desires and, and talents. What's heaven going to be like for us? Help us uh, understand. Help us trust you. Uh, most importantly, we thank you, though, for Jesus, and it's in his name. Amen.